what moves the needle to getting people to stick. He talks to me still about, you know, people can pay with time. And so it's not necessarily, you, you don't have to quantify success as them paying dollars every month. You can quantify success by how much time they spend in the app, you know, how often they come back. And that might give you a healthier understanding of what products or what product features work without having the friction of getting them to pay first. One characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. It was grit. Hey, what's up, man? Everything. We're live. <laughs> Everything is up. So Kyle and I, when we do this, Kyle always handles, he's the one that has the account for Riverside and all these different things. We've used like 10 different ones at this point. And he's technical support. So this is my first time rolling solo. So if this doesn't get recorded or something horrible happens, that's why. No, I got faith. I got, I got faith in you. Yeah, you'd hope that I'd be able to, like, it's not technical at all, but it's sometimes, we've had a couple where we record it and we didn't get one of our audio. One of us didn't get it or whatever. And it just like, okay, we just wasted like an hour. So great. <laughs> but how you doing, man? It's been a while. It's crazy. I went back and I looked when I was on the show last and I listened to the whole episode and I didn't click on in my head what the date was. So the date was February 21st, 2020. I listened to the whole episode and Kyle at the end goes, are you going to microconf? And I'm like, yeah, I'll see you in a month. And see you in a month. <laughs> see you in two yeah, years. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So, I mean, so much has happened since that last episode. You know, the, the world kind of stopped to some degree. But for me, it's been a whirlwind in a bunch of different directions. So when you reached out to say, like, we should do a follow-up episode, I was kind of like, wow, there's probably too much to talk about. I know. We're going to get into it. We're going to get into it for sure. Yeah, you have like a very... I feel like your story is... I feel like it's more common now than like, you know, I don't know, like three or four years ago. Like a lot of times people that, you know, sort of are, you know, kind of trying to go the solo act or, you know, just, you know, keep it to a couple people kind of thing. They tend to stick to that, right? Like it's everybody, like some people are really vain about it, right? Like it's like, there's no way, like it's like they're fighting against the man, which is like VCs and all that kind of stuff. And then some people just, you know, whatever, they just sort of prefer that to the alternative. And then, but I'm seeing a lot more people, you know, start out solo or bootstrapped or whatever, and then decide, you know what, I'm going to go at this a, a little bit, you know, a little bit harder, yeah, kind of sure. aim a little bit higher and take some money and kind of go for it. And that's kind of what you've done. So you, just to preface this a little bit, I'll put it in the notes, but yeah, like when we talked last and or in February, you were bootstrapped, you were a solopreneur, you had a podcast that was called like Solo something. What was it Product called? Product of One. Product of One. So yes. there you go. So everything was kind of like geared that way, right? For sure. And then... And, and all that is done. <laughs> all that is done. And so now you, you know, fast forward, you got into Techstars, you went through Techstars, and you've recently raised like, I think, two million, right? Yep. About two million. We're on a, a co-founder. That's a big step. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you just take me through the last, you know, two years, two years. <laughs> in like three minutes? <laughs> yeah, I'll do a quick one. All right. So Punchlist gets off the ground in 2019. I'm a solo founder. In the last episode, I talked a little bit about, I taught myself how to write software and I built Punchlist. 
punchless at the time was this annotation layer over live websites. And Kyle talked about how you guys used it to annotate. I think it was the user feed site at the time. And it lets you gather feedback from people and get your projects done. And so going into 2020, when I was on the episode last, it was just more of the same kind of improvements to that line of thinking. So in 2020, we added a bunch of integrations with Asana, Jira, Trello, ClickUp. And I brought in a couple freelance developers and they were helping me improve the product and really taking the burden off engineering off of my shoulders and allowing me to sell the product and onboard new accounts. Towards the end of 2020, the inflection point was we added the ability to annotate PDFs and kind of creative files. And what ended up happening is this very niche product evolved into a very wide use case. People were using it for all sorts of things. PDF is like this great, like universal container for things, right? So people were annotating contracts or annotating electrical diagrams, or, you know, we had people uploading photos and annotating photos. So we just had all these random use cases and kind of at the end of 20 and beginning of 21, Dave Payne, who's a friend of ours in Atlanta, who was running Techstars Atlanta, him and I were always talking and I had known him for a few years and I was telling him what was happening. And so Dave and I just started talking more and more. And at one point, Dave said to me, you should really join Techstars. And I, you know, as you kind of mentioned, I was kind of like, no, I don't want to go down the VC route. I have friends that had done that. They were very anti me doing it. And Dave's like, I understand, I understand. And so he gave me a little bit of leeway on that. And we kept talking. And eventually he came to the point where he said on, you know, we used to walk around the city of Decatur. And he said to me, uh, he said to me, in five years, if Punchlist is not the known name in this space, are you going to be satisfied? And it really hit me hard because it was like, you know what, he's right. Like, it would really bother me if I felt there was an opportunity for this thing to be bigger and I never took a healthy stab at it. I never kind of burned the boats. So, you know, him and I start talking about what it would look like for Punchless to be in Techstars. And luckily I had done Techstars mentoring for the two previous classes. So I had a really good idea of what, you know, what a good fit for Techstars Atlanta in particular could look like. And we started talking through our weaknesses and I recorded kind of an interview and, you know, one of the weaknesses we identified probably in May, June was, you know, I was still the only person kind of in the company and it was just on my shoulders. And I had personally seen where solo founders doing Techstars Atlanta, it just really didn't work. Like Techstars is a high curriculum, very rigid, a lot of meetings, a lot of education, and you're still expected to push the product forward. And so if you're doing it by yourself, it's a meat grinder and it's very hard. And the solo founders that I had seen do it before, they didn't get a lot done during program. And Dave said to me one day, do you have anyone in mind that you think would join? And there was a guy that had been at an agency with me and we had been on a small two product product team for years. And I was like, that's the best product working relationship I've ever had. And so I reached out to who is now my co-founder, Nick. He was a VP of FinTech company, VP of technology. And I was like, hey, I got a wild idea. There's a chance that I will do Techstars in July. I still had not been accepted yet. Is there any inkling in your heart to go on this adventure with me? And so Nick, to his credit, like 
he had always been saying throughout the years, every time I showed him punch list, Hey, if you ever wanted to bring someone on, if you're ever in a position to bring someone on, keep me in mind, I'd love to do it. And so he agreed. And then in July, we joined Techstars. And so from July to October of 21, we did Techstars. And Techstars was a phenomenal experience. Was it just you guys? Or didn't you have a couple other people? So we brought on a person to help us with marketing that didn't work out. And we had a couple freelancers as well. But for the most part, it was myself, Nick, and then a marketer, his name's Walker, who is a great person. He just wasn't fit for us. And so we did Techstars and Techstars was phenomenal experience for us. Like we were a great fit for Techstars. We were a great fit for how we worked. I still talk to a lot of founders who are thinking about joining Techstars and I walk them through how we approached it. I would think some companies probably aren't a good fit, potentially, right? Like just like anything else. Like what would you say is like a good fit for Techstars or just like an accelerator like that in general? Like what made it a good fit for you guys? I think the first thing that people don't appreciate about accelerators is that probably every single one of them are different. And you really need to do your research on what's the strengths of that accelerator. So Techstars in particular has accelerators that specialize in different things. And Atlanta happened to be a generalist technology one, but most of them have a specific niche that they focus on. So MedTech, MarTech, you know, clean energy, social good. These are all specialized programs. And obviously they're going to recruit companies that fit kind of what they're looking for. But for us, a generalized, we were one of the few generalized programs. Techstars has 40 programs. They accept 10 companies per program every year. And we were one of the few programs. Atlanta has one generalized tech program. And what I had seen is that the mentorship base in Atlanta was really geared towards B2B. You know, Atlanta tends to be a B2B town and maybe with a lean to fintech and maybe some aspirations for kind of consumerized SaaS, like with Calendly or MailChimp. But the mentorship was really, that was their strength, sales, B2B. And if you're trying to do a consumer product, it's not the best fit, but Dave has a strength in consumer. So it's a mixed bag. But I think for most people, the accelerator, what I've told people often is that There is no better definition of what you're going to get out of these kinds of programs than acceleration. It's going to push you a few years ahead in a very short amount of time. And Dave likes to tell people like it's going to push you two years up the road and that might be two years and you're going to fail and it's going to shorten that window or it's going to help you make decisions in three months that would have taken you two years to make or figure out. And so that proved to be true for us. We worked very, very hard in program. And we brought all of our years of expertise to kind of focus within those three months to move really quickly. And so it worked out great. Like Nick handled technology. I handled kind of all the day-to-day tech stars related things in addition to kind of outlining our product goals for those 14 weeks. And Walker focused on like a little bit of operations, a little bit of marketing. We did a product home launch during Techstars. And yeah, I'll stop rambling. But yeah, no, that's it was awesome. phenomenal. Yeah, I was going to say, I went to the, you know, we saw each other at the demo day. And you say it was generalist, but I could have sworn it was like some kind of like build your company on Airbnb, like niche or something. <laughs> like every company, there had to be at least three or four of the companies that were some kind of business built on Airbnb. And a lot of them were like pretty interesting. Yeah, we had a great class. 
like just a phenomenal group of founders. And there was definitely a niche of some real estate ones. Yeah. On that note, what do you think if you had to pick, I mean, obviously outside of your own company, if you had to pick like what idea or business Mm -hmm. do you feel like has the most promise? Not what you think is the coolest, but like just in general, which one do you think had the most promise of like all the companies in your batch? You know, I'm bound to be wrong. Of course. Anybody that guesses at this. (laughs) I'd say from the inside, the strengths of each company would surprise people to the outside. And so really once you're kind of, you know, we do CEO coffee. We still do it. This class every, I forget what day of the week, every Tuesday, we try to get the whole group of CEOs together and we talk about kind of what's going well, what's not going well, and and kind of the current frustrations. And so you get this intimate understanding of each of these companies. You know, the ideas were so varied, right? So you had, you know, even in the real estate space, the three real estate companies we had were extremely varied, right? They're in the real estate space, but their approach to their product. So the three real estate companies we had was Nectar, Wash B&B, and Reret. And Nectar is essentially pipe for Airbnb property owners. So if you own a bunch of Airbnb properties, you could sell your cash flow to Nectar and then Nectar has investors that would buy it, right? So there's that idea, right? Which is That was probably my favorite. Yeah, and Derek Barker is a Division 1 football player who went to Harvard and worked on Wall Street for a decade and you know, is every bit of humble and smart as you can be. But there's that idea, right? And then Daniel Cruz runs Wash B&B and Wash B&B does linen cleaning for Airbnb properties. And you would think at first blush, you'd be like, oh, that's a pretty dirty, for lack of a better pun, dirty business, right? You're having to wash individual linens. But what Daniel figured out is he could productize kind of his linens and sell a king set and a queen set to these Airbnb owners and then just come in and swap them out. And it's like, so everyone had these really clever approaches to their products. And with ReRent, you know, he was essentially discovered that there is a gap in college leases where for four months out of a year, an apartment will sit empty, but a leaser has to lease it out just so they don't lose the apartment. And so Alakaya from Yale said, okay, I'm going to manage these apartments for these four months and I'm going to Airbnb them out for these people. And he doesn't have to worry about, you know, the capital needed to buy Airbnbs and and everyone wins, right? And so these three startups give you a kind of a sense of a tech star class where, you know, you get these operators with Wash B&B or these, you know, Wall Street people with Nectar. And it's so varied. And, and that kaleidoscope of people, you know, you learn from every day. And so with these accelerators, it's, you know, they're going to move you really fast up the road in terms of making decisions, but then you're going to be surrounded by, for 14 weeks, you're going to be surrounded by people that just bring a different perspective to all their decisions. And it's just really hard to replicate if you go to a co-work or, you try to, you know, get that same feel from, you know, different startup hubs. But yeah, I could talk all day about tech no, stars, I, but yeah. Yeah, I totally get. I mean, I agree. Having not actually done it, I think that's something you definitely and I feel like you know, we've missed at times for probably good and bad, right? Like the bad part is you get surrounded by maybe the wrong people or people that are constantly trying to tell you what to do you get a lot of voices right you're not really sure what to do because you have so many 
so many people telling you what to do. And so that's the scary part. And that, I mean, that might be why we have never kind of ventured down that path, I guess. But I could totally see the good sides of this, right? Where you've got like a group of, of folks. And I've tried to get, I mean, you could somewhat generate that yourself, right? Depending on what city you're in. And, yep. you know, just neck. I mean, like, obviously, like you and I, and I've got a few other folks that I'll meet with, you know, every month or so and just kind of like pick their brain, find out what's going on, the problems they're running into, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I definitely see the value in that, especially early on, right? Like that, what you're talking about is like speeding that two-year cycle. I mean, it really, now that you say it, it took us like two years to figure out what the hell was going on with our business. We didn't get very far for about two years and then, you know, finally sort of figured out, you know, some different things that really sort of gave us some direction in the mm-hmm. in the right direction instead yeah. of like, you know, fuddling around in 18 different directions trying to figure it out, right? So I, yeah. I could totally see how that would be the case. Yeah, and I think the misnomer on these accelerators is people, you see this a bunch, people think you're going to go to the accelerator and the accelerator is going to tell you what to do. And that is not what is going to happen. And the founders that go into these programs thinking the accelerator is going to hand them a playbook and tell them, yeah, this is how you build a startup. That is not the case. And it is about kind of you having three months of focus time and running really, really fast. And then, you know, getting wind in your sales by hearing these other founders and, you know, trying to, we at Techstars did KPI reviews weekly. Every week you get in front of the class, you do your elevator pitch and you do a KPI review and you do it in front of the whole class. It's just hard to replicate that if you're just meeting for coffee once a month with people. Yep. Well, it gives you accountability too, right? It's like everybody's doing the same thing. You're in front of everyone, like, you know, you don't want those KPIs to suck, right? <laughs> like you're going to work no. your butt off the rest of the week to make sure that they're headed in the right direction. So yeah, I think that's awesome. So, okay. So you go through and then, you know, I'm assuming there was some option for funding post tech stars, like from them, yeah. but no. then you decided to go a little bit further. How did you go about yeah. raising? I mean, that's a lot of money. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did you go about that? I don't think you've gone through that before, but no. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. So how did you go about going out there and raising? So Techstars culminates with a demo day you mentioned attending. And basically you, you get up front on stage and you do kind of a five minute pitch. And part of that is you are pitching to investors that happen to be in the audience. And then Techstars themselves are recording it and sending it nationally out to a pool of, I don't know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of registered investors in their network. And then the week following demo day, they are scheduling meetings for you to meet investors. And then separately, you're you know going through program, you're meeting investors through mentorship or just kind of it being known that you're part of the program. So for us, what ended up happening is, and it worked out nicely for us, the week before demo day, we scheduled three friendly investor meetings. And they were essentially to ourselves, we had positioned them as you know, we want three friendly at bats to understand what kind of questions we're going to get from investors so that we can do demo day. And then that week following, we would have a, a better understanding of how to answer questions or the questions we might see and be able to answer them. What ended up happening is those three, two of them turned into our lead investors after demo day. And so we probably met with, including those three, we probably met with 25 different venture funds over the two-week period. And I'd say a third of those did follow-up calls, multiple follow-up calls. 
And it just became clear to us that raising funding was possible. First of all, we didn't understand. We went into Demo Day thinking, like most Techstar companies, it would be the following quarter that we would raise. And, and truthfully, the rest of our class still has not raised. They're in the process of doing it now. So we were the only one that happened to raise so quickly after program. So the questions we got, I mean, I think revolved at this stage, at the seed stage, it revolves around a lot of who is the team? Like, what are we backing? And a little bit of traction, a little bit of what unique insights you see, you know, what had you learned during program, you know, in relation to the team, are you healthy? How long have you been working together? Are you going to weather, you know, the difficult times that you're going to have, you know, and for us, we were the older ones in the class. We weren't fresh out of college. We had multiple jobs before this, multiple senior level jobs. So we knew what running a team looked like. We knew what being in front of important people in high profile or high pressure environments looked like. And, and so for us, we checked a lot of boxes for these venture funds. And so our lead investor is Overline VC based out of Atlanta. And then our second largest investor is a fund called PJC out of Boston. And they've both had like unique things that they brought to the table for us that we thought leveled us up. And it became very clear that we could raise, yeah, like you said, a significant amount of money that gives us the opportunity to build out a team and the breathing room to make healthy decisions. And so I think a little bit of, you know, it's nice that I bootstrapped it for three years because it led me to make scrappy decisions and, you know, build a product that got into tech stars and is being used by thousands of people. What did the VCs think about that? Like, I would think they'd like that, right? It's like you were scrappy, like on your own, trying to figure this out before you went out and raised a bunch of money. Was that a factor at all? Did they care? Did that like raise the bar for you? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that it was a requirement. Um, I think, I think these guys are making decisions based on, you know, an imperfect understanding of the future, right? So they're trying to make the best decision they can. And so I think if, you know, taking a step back and, and trying not to be biased, but if they see someone who, you know, left their career, taught themselves how to write software, you know, sold it themselves and really took a leap, that gives them encouragement that you're going to be able to weather a hard time. Then paired with a person that you had already been on a team together, you had already built product together, that made a lot of sense to them. And then lastly, you know, and Techstars talks about this, Techstars talks a lot about team, team, team product, right? And so for a lot of these venture capitalists, especially at the seed stage, you know, that's what they're focused on. They want to see some traction, but probably not as much as you would expect. They want to see that the team is healthy and that the product and the opportunity that the product has in front of it is healthy, right? And so for us, a lot of what we sold on was the team, the vision of the product, and directionally kind of what we had already accomplished and what we were looking to accomplish in the near term. So now you guys are, I'm assuming you've made some hires since then. Yeah. You got to spend that money, right? So how are you, like we're all remote, but we've got a lot of people like around the world. I think I saw you guys were mo- like pretty much all US based. Has hiring gotten, I mean, now that like everybody's remote or at least partially remote, like has it been difficult to find people and get them? And I guess the second, the follow on is when you are talking to people that you like, that you would like to bring in, that you think are great, is there a lot of competition for those people, a lot more than maybe in the past? 
Yeah. So we get the money in November, you know, as part of any funding round, you know, one of the key ingredients is, you know, they tend to call it capital utilization. So basically, how are you going to use this money? And what are the goals of the money? And so one of the uses is was hiring. You know, we wanted to staff up. We wanted to build a core team. So a little bit of marketing, a little bit of ops and some engineering. And we wanted to hit the ground running pretty hard in the beginning of the year. So in order to do that, December, we dedicated it all to hiring. And so towards the end of November, we got some job ads up. We learned a lot through that process. We had nearly 1,900 applicants to four jobs. And I would say 90% of that was noise. Like 90% of that was, you know, someone applying to an engineering job that was a realtor and had never done engineering. It was just a lot of noise. But through that noise, we found a lot of great applicants. And I think the reason why we had a, a lot of like really excellent people apply is because we were positioning ourselves as an async company completely remote. We had a clear understanding of the values and, and kind of the culture that we wanted to emulate. We kind of put that into our job description. And so we hired four great people from all around the country, mostly East Coast, but we have one person kind of in the Midwest. And I couldn't have hoped for a better team. They're excellent people. We all got together for the first time a couple of weeks ago here in Atlanta. They all started in January. But we got together a couple of weeks ago here in Atlanta and they were all competing. Like we were competing against other companies and, you know, they gravitated towards, I think they gravitated towards the product. So everyone has a little bit of a creative slant to work they've done in the past, even if they're engineers or ops or marketing. Our ops manager, funny enough, was at a studio using Punchlist. And so she heard about us because she was following us on social. Our marketing manager had worked for a creative director startup in the past. And so like he had a slant towards what we were doing. So yeah, I mean, I think for us, it was not hard to hire great people, but I think we put a lot of effort in making sure that we checked the boxes that great people would want to see in a company they're joining. Yeah, I could see like product mattering a lot more now than it has in the past in terms of the hiring process. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times in the past, people like... When I've been looking for a job in the past or my wife, the first thing was like, well, who are the new hot companies in Atlanta? Like that, that's the first thing, which no longer is a thing, right? Like that doesn't have to be the thing because everybody's remote. But, you know, there's so much money in the market now. Like you can kind of make pretty good money in a lot of different places. If you want to make really good money, you can go to the, you know, like the big, the Googles and the Facebooks and all that kind of stuff. So for the people that don't want that, like it's hard to... Like if you're doing something that's just like not super sexy, you know, kind of complicated, like people don't really get it. Like I could see how that would be a challenge. And I've seen it with some founders that we either work with or that I'm friends with where they have a lot of challenges with hiring and gets worse if you're only trying to hire in like just in Atlanta or just in any city. Right. But I think with you guys, yeah, like you guys have, I would consider like a fairly sexy product if that's like it's something we probably all could use at some point right it's like something we all understand right giving feedback on really anything any creative project so i think i could totally see how that would help in the hiring process i i think so i think more so the personality of the product is about having fun and doing something creative i think you could do punchless and it could be super freaking boring Right. Like okay. I think you could do the the thing we're doing and it'd be a very bland, plain thing and, and not very fun. 
I think the fact that we're trying to bring, you know, some levity and some personality to this thing excites people that they can have fun and be a little bit quirky with their work and not have to take everything so seriously. And then I think combined with this idea that they and we positioned like, look, you're the core team. Like this is the core team. You're going to make decisions that you will never make at another company that's bigger. You're going to help shape decisions that you would never have a say in. And we want to hire the best people so that, you know, we can make the best decisions early on. So I think for some people, they look at it as an opportunity to check some boxes that they wouldn't have going to a bigger tech company or a company that isn't as fun, you know, then combined with it's async, it's remote, you know, they could live where they want to live and they get to have fun at their job. For sure. I get all your emails, the marketing emails, right? I have a general idea of kind of some of the things that have changed and what's going on. I feel like your pricing has changed a little bit. Yeah. Are you guys seeing a lot more as you've added more features, support for more creative file types and things like Mm -hmm. that? Are you guys getting a lot more of like your, what is it? The enterprise plan or something like organization plan? Like, are you guys seeing a, a lot more larger companies that are using the product or is it still kind of like just a lot of users more on the lower kind of a smaller side it's a mixed bag to be honest with you i'm constantly surprised by the enterprises that are leveraging punch list a lot of it comes through these agency relationships we have and and they're getting kind of sucked into the product and that was always the vision of catering to agencies as our core and then expanding out from them because they can bridge that trust gap between the enterprise so it's a bit of a mixed bag. I won't name drop, but some of the bigger companies in Atlanta use Punchlist. And then there's a ton of consultants and solo users on the platform. And so pre-Techstars, I had a very traditional pricing structure, you know, small, medium, large, let's call it. And during Techstars, one of our mentors pushed us really hard to remove any barriers of friction, just go free truly try to understand, you know, what moves the needle to getting people to stick. He talks to me still about, you know, people can pay with time. And so it's not necessarily, you you don't have to quantify success as them paying dollars every month. You can quantify success by how much time they spend in the app, you know, how often they come back. And that might give you a healthier understanding of what products or our product features work without having the friction of getting them to pay first. So we did that during Techstars. We kind of blew up our pricing. We went free. We lost a bunch of reoccurring revenue. But we also blew the doors off of our monthly numbers in terms of users, projects, items added to Punchlist. I was looking back at the stats from when I was last on the show versus kind of where we are today. We'll do in a week, in a week now, what we did in a year in 2020, you, you know, mean, so in terms of product usage or yeah, revenue. Yeah. That's no, awesome, product man. usage. Yeah. That's so, great. so yeah, pricing's evolving for us. We just kind of went back from freemium to now having some more established pricing and like literally last week, I think we're settled on pricing. I think where we're at right now, we're going to stay there for a while and Now it's a little bit more about filling in our plans. Like I think we have product market fit on our smaller plan. That tends to be the uptick. 
And I think we still need to work our way to having kind of a more valuable offering with our bigger plan. But we'll get there. That's always been my aspiration is just to kind of like feature these up so that it becomes a no-brainer to sign up for them. Totally. What is it like selling to agencies? I mean, do you find it... You used to work for at a bunch of agencies, right? So you probably have a decent idea. I've always been under the... Like at my last company, I always felt like selling to agencies was difficult. Now I sell to a lot of agencies. (laughs) So it's gotten less difficult, but... Yeah. What are the key things to like selling to an agency? Because I feel like a lot of people are selling to agencies. It's like a pretty popular market for like founders to build towards, especially bootstrappers. Yeah. I think the difference in how we approach selling to agencies versus I think maybe a traditional marketing technology company is I think a traditional marketing technology is basically trying to check a box for the agency. You need an analytics tool we're this for you. You need an SEO monitoring tool. We can do that for you. I think for us, it's truly understanding that all these agencies go through a similar pain point. And so it's less about, you know, we're checking this box that you need to have. And it's more about, do you guys experience this pain? And universally, it's like, yeah, we actually don't have a solution for that. And we can quantify that in terms of delayed projects or frustration or burnout amongst their employees. And so it covers a lot of things for them. And so I think because we can talk from a level of understanding of, you know, I spent 15 years at an agency. At at one point, I ran a little boutique one. It allows us to have conversations with kind of leaders within that organization and, you know, be able to zero in on a pain point that they don't think there's a solution for, you know, as opposed to a tool that's saying we're competing against these things. We're saying like you have this pain and we have kind of a vitamin for it. I mean, the way you describe that sounds like sales. Are you guys doing any sales? I mean, obviously, you're doing sales when it comes to you, but are you also doing outbound sales at all? Not yet. So right now, it's been a lot of inbound. I still do demos. You know, I have two today. I got two tomorrow. You know, so we're still doing demos. A lot of it is self-generated demos from people coming to the app and asking for us to kind of walk them through how something works, or maybe they have questions about they're in our funnel and then they have like a little bit more specific questions about plans or kind of what some features mean. And so we'll do demos for them. I think there's a world where we're going to try to go as long as we can before building out a traditional sales structure like SDRs and kind of account managers. But I think that world is inevitable for us. I think we will hit some type of ceiling or plateau in terms of adoption that the only thing that will help us break through is kind of getting into larger enterprise sales. Gotcha. Are you doing any like advertising or anything? Or is it just yep. strictly like, okay, you are, what are you guys doing on that side of things? Is it like any tools you're using or just going like Google? Yep. A little bit of Google. Zach, our new marketing director, is putting a ton of effort in terms of content marketing, writing. I mean, he's got a full content plan that he's executing on now with multiple writers and kind of targeted keywords. And so I think it's a little bit of, you know, paid versus organic. And we're trying to kind of do the dance between, you know, lowering one and raising the other to replace it. But for us, it's a little bit of primarily just Google keywords and Google AdWords. You mentioned the content. Do you guys just have some freelancers or are you working with like a agency or something? Freelancers. So Zach, to his credit, is a machine and he's done this before at other companies and he has a good network of freelancers that he's worked with in the past. And so I think we have five writers that are creating articles through his direction. 
at a pretty healthy cadence. And so he'll do all the keyword research. He'll identify topics that are interesting to us. And internally, we're writing some that are about async and remote work and async product development. And then separately, the writers are writing around keywords that you know our target audience would probably be looking for. Gotcha. Yeah, we started to dabble a little bit. When we first started the business, I you know, when Kyle was building, I was, we didn't have any customers yet. So I was just writing, right? Like I'm just writing, I got a blog out at least a a blog a week, if not two blogs a week, you know, you feel like you got nothing to show for it for your life (laughs) for like six months to a year. You're just sitting there writing. You're like, what am I doing? No one's looking at these. This is pointless. But yeah, like years down the road, you know, you start seeing the fruits of your labor starting to trickle in here and there. We saw a lot of, I don't know if you guys have done this a decent bit or what you're seeing in your analytics but we've had a ton of success with like forums and stuff and just like you know anybody that's talking about anything to do with or even like adjacent to like what we're doing if we somehow enter the conversation in those particular forums where that's being discussed those tend to get great seo and that like better much better seo than any blog we could write or anything like you know our website or anything right so early on Initially, we kind of we went after that stuff just because it was more direct, right? It was like I saw these people talking about it in this place, and I wrote back to them and told them what we did. But now that is public and that's archived and it's on the internet now. And so then people start, you know, if you look at our analytics, it's like over the past couple of years, it's like probably like I don't know, sixty percent of our traffic and our signups comes from one of those forums that what you know I wrote on like five years ago or something. Do you focus on that at all, like specifically, or is it just kind of like if you find something, you'll pop in there? Or is that like more of a strategy? I mean, I don't think we've done it from an SEO standpoint. We definitely have a bunch of niche kind of like forums for creative directors that are private and agency forums that are private. We don't get the SEO benefit of them. But the nice thing is, is we tend once we do that to get a seeding of customers that are in those places. And so, uh, you know, as people are having conversations or struggling, you know, we'll, you know, punchless will be mentioned as a solution that's not coming from us. And so that social proof goes a long way. We tend to see that probably weekly now where one of our customers is in these places that we started having conversations in and they're referring us. So, you know, I think Punchless has a benefit of, we've talked about this a little bit in terms of our branding, but it has the benefit of being like a little bit of a secret weapon for these agencies. And so they tend to like to refer it because it gives them that social clout to say like, oh, here's this thing I know about that's really going to help you, especially on this very painful thing that I know you're going through. Totally. What's been like the weirdest use case that you've had so far? I feel like your product is like so like, kind of broad, right? Like, and like, you could do a lot of different things on it. What's like the weirdest use case? I know we've had some pretty weird stuff happen. And we're, <laughs> we're not as like generalized as you guys are across a bunch yeah. of different markets. We've had a ton of weird ones. The challenge is, is we only get aware of them kind of if people reach out and support and talk through this, the problem with us. I'm thinking of like two or three off the top of my head. We had, you know, so Punchless, the benefit is it's collaborative, right? So one person can upload something and they could share out one URL and a bunch of people can annotate very quickly on top of the asset, whether the asset is a website or kind of an image or something. And so we've had an astronomy student in Germany upload a star chart and (laughs) a bunch of other students kind of go in and mark it up. 
we have a bunch of architects and landscape architects using Punchlist to work with their clients. So not that weird, but it's a pretty interesting use case when you think about it. This one's cool. We had a snowboarding group in New Zealand upload all these vintage photos from the 90s. They basically sent out one Punchlist URL with dozens and dozens of photos to the entire email list of their group. And they basically said, we don't know who any of the people are in these photos because they're from like 30 years ago. Oh, wow. If you know who they are, if you know where they're from, if you know their name, go into this tool and drop a dot on the person's face and tell us what you know about them. And so they did that for dozens and dozens of photos. We have a journalism teacher and the University of Ottawa that with her class will take a document. It's like a journalism and linguistics class, something like that. She'll take a document, an article, a live article from like the UN or something and live in her class, her entire student body. So we see these weird spikes occasionally and it'll force us to dig into like what's going on. Her entire student body will jump into a project and annotate it based on what she's lecturing about. And so we'll see like, you know, 60 people rush to a project at once and annotate it and get hundreds of pieces of feedback. We had a UK book editor the other day annotate a book about Chernobyl. She left a thousand pieces of feedback, you know, on a couple hundred page book. Yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of cool projects with agencies who are working with really cool clients and they're working on things that aren't public yet. And it's just cool that it's happening through Punchlist. We will pass a hundred thousand pieces of feedback through the tool here in the next couple of days. And my co-founder and I were reflecting on that today. And it's, for me, it's, it's very special, right? I put this thing together in, you know, late at night in the basement, learning how to code. And, and a lot of that same code exists, you know, three years later and to have, you know, a hundred thousand pieces of feedback through the system, it's going to be a nice milestone. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's like the best. It's like, in a lot of ways, a better feeling than actually you know, making a ton of money on the product. We have a free tool or we, we made it free. It wasn't free at first, but we put something out there and it's getting quite a bit, like it's getting a bunch of users at this point, but it's just like, we're not making any money on it, but it's just cool to like see what people do on it and just have people using something that, you know, you in some part made. As you were saying those, the reason I mentioned that is because I thought you were going to tell me something that was like, actually weird those are like cool use cases (laughs) as i was saying that i don't think i've ever said this or told this story on the podcast but in the the first i want to say like the first year of our business i mean we had like we had no money i mean our like we weren't paying ourselves we had like barely any revenue so i was willing to do anything to like make money basically our product had some holes let's say you know like just like any product does especially early on And really, the only customers that we could get at first were all overseas. So we had a customer in Australia, we had one in, you know, Singapore, I think we had one in like Hong Kong or something. And they were all like, they had all just like just started with us. So like, I wanted them to have the best support possible. So what I would do is I would put my computer next to my pillow, and I would turn my phone on loud, like as loud as possible. So we had, you know, some alerts set up. If a customer, you know, reached out to support or there's some kind of issue or whatever, like I'll hear it basically. I put it like right next to my head. And for probably like, I don't know, two or three months, um, it happened a lot. Like I would basically wake up at like 3.30 in the morning 
and answer like support stuff because I was like, they have to have the absolute best support. We don't have any money to pay anybody overseas yep. and I got to do this or we're never going to make it. Right. So right. I just did it and it was horrible and I hated it. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But one time, so I'm sitting in bed, I get this little alert and I'm like, all right, it's like pull open. And this person reaches out and they're like, hey, we basically do ad screenshots. So we're like showing basically, you know, your ad campaign showing up on different internet sites. Sure. But for some reason, this particular site wasn't working. And I was like, okay, what's the deal? What's the site? And they're like, I'm sorry to, to do this. I promise it's only like one time. I know it's kind of weird, but I need to run these on Pornhub. <laughs> and it's not working right now. And can you tell me why it's not working? I'm like, well, we really don't like, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, in the past, at all the companies I've been at, we've always had like sure. policies, right? Like no porn, no you know, whatever. Right. And I'm saying it to her as I'm saying it, I'm like, we really have, we have a policy. And I'm like, oh, we definitely don't have policy because, <laughs> you know, we're so early, right? But so I look on there and then I figure out like what to do to like why it didn't work or something. Mm-hmm. But what I have to do next is I have to load up Pornhub in order to like basically give them what they want and like solve the problem. And I'm sitting in there, I'm sitting in bed and I'm like, I remember just sitting there and like looking over at my wife and being like, man, if she wakes up right now, it's like 3.30 <laughs> in the morning and I'm on my freaking computer in bed on like Pornhub or something. Yeah, but um, luckily it, it got fixed. I didn't have to do that. And that's it hilarious. Was, but it, yeah, that was more of the weird I was referring to, but that's yeah, awesome. Honey, you guys honey it's support probably wouldn't have gone over well. <laughs> it's just support. <laughs> oh, man. No, I mean... I'm sure that has happened at Punchlist, but I am happy to say it has not hit my eyes yet. So I'm good. Well, we're kind of coming here to the end. And the reason why is because just like free Zoom, you get kicked off at 60 minutes <laughs> <laughs> or they just stop recording and don't tell you. That's what Kyle informed me of. But yeah, this has been awesome and super helpful oh, to kind of hear your... I mean, I'm pumped for you guys that everything's going so well. Uh, I appreciate that. I feel like I've been rambling, but it's good to have this touch base. And even listening to the last episode, it was just funny kind of hearing how I was thinking before. That's like half the reason we do the podcast is so that Kyle and I have some sort of like archive of our lives at the time. You know, like I feel like sharing this kind of stuff with our kids, you know, 40 years from now when we're old and or we're gone or whatever you know, them being able to hear what we were talking about, what we were thinking when we were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years old. Like, I think that's going to be pretty cool because we definitely don't have, we're not like serving any ads on this podcast. It's not, no, that, I, it's I, not that big. That hits home because like my dad died when I was young. And so to think that, you know, our kids or, or your kids in particular are going to have this opportunity to listen to your voice, you know, 30, 40 years from now, it's really powerful. And even if it's us talking about, your late night support antics or, you know, kind of the trials and tribulations of our businesses. I mean, it it still goes a long way for them. I appreciate you having me as part of that. For sure. For sure. So I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you and definitely where to find Punchlist. So you guys got the .com recently, didn't you? Or maybe it was a while ago. Hell yes, we did. I I used to have to tell people, I would like, I try to refer you guys and I'd be like, Punchlist. Dot oh, st. <laughs> I was like, that was the hardest that? thing. Even when I spoke to Kyle two years ago, I was like, it's punchless, but li.st. And then after that, we switched to usepunchless.com. But yes, towards the end of last year, we bought punchless.com. That's a story for another day. Oh but man, yeah, just... I needed to, I need to find out what that number was. Over <laughs> or under you. 20 grand? Over. Oh, whew. yeah. Well worth it. 
That's really not that much. I mean, when people, you know, when you hear other stories of this stuff, people are buying stuff for like millions of dollars or whatever. But for me, that's yeah. like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like When I see like $60, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I want the $12 one. I will say I offered under. We had to work our way up to get it. But I literally do not regret it one moment. It was one of the better gambles and decisions we made. And it alleviates a lot of this weird friction around the business by having that. So if other people are in an opportunity that they can pull it off, I highly recommend it. And the one thing I would say is it takes effort. I mean, I was chasing that for the better part of six months straight. I mean, you mentioned like you guys are really going after kind of the SEO route. So yeah, yeah, it becomes pretty important at that point. So yeah, you can check out Punchlist at punchlist.com for any of your creative feedback and approval needs. Definitely check it out. It's an awesome product and we use it as well. Well, cool, man. Thanks Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Say hi to Kyle for me. Will do. See you, buddy.